0: Okay, so this is one of those episodes where I'm going to try and not be a fanboy, not geek out because of who I have on as a guest. This episode, I have Dan Grek on from The Road Chose Me. everybody and welcome to another edition of all over overland podcast my name is michael and today we've got dan greck on and i will say that we did this recording yesterday and it was the greatest the greatest interview ever but we lost it basically i didn't hit the record button so we're going to call today the tribute and if you know the song then bonus points so dan how are you doing today i'm great michael how are you <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Once I got the shame and embarrassment of talking to you for about thirty minutes yesterday, and then later that night realizing that it did not record. Um, yeah, I'm I'm doing better now.
1: <laughs> That's good, and I like this goal of ours. We're we're aiming for the tribute, so we're not even trying to make the greatest thing. No, in the world. no, because so because it, it won't be off now.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're just <laughs> two guys talking about stuff. That's um, right. So for for our listeners that don't know. Um, you know, you, you went on a big trip, so just just tell me where you went, and we're going to dive into how you got there and, and everything like that, but, but what was the big event that, that, that our listeners need to know that you uh, kind of just accomplished?
1: I just got back, Michael, from a three-year trip all the way around the perimeter of Africa. Uh, so I drove my Jeep Wrangler 54,000 miles through 35 countries in Africa.
0: All right, so that's going to give our listeners a little bit of we backstory, but we're gonna, or a little bit of what happened now, but we want the backstory. So how did you get, how did, how did this come about?
1: Right, yeah, I, I used to be an engineer, Michael. Um, I used to sit at a desk every day, you know, and there was, there was beautiful things happening outside the window, but I was stuck inside. Um, and I realized after a few years that it just wasn't making me happy, and it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I started trying to research or think about what else can I do. And before I even came up with a plan, I knew that I would need, you know, a savings account. So I started saving money. That was like priority number one. And then once my savings account was just sort of slowly ticking up, I started kind of dreaming and planning and looking at maps. And I'd always wanted to go up to Alaska. It was kind of a dream of mine ever since reading, you know, The Call of the Wild and White Fang. Yeah. And so I had a little Jeep at the time, a little two-door Wrangler. Um, and I was, I was into camping and hiking So I had a tent and you know, a thermarest A little camp stove So I loaded up my jeep, I quit my job uh, And I drove up to Alaska for a summer And for anyone that's never been Alaska is unbelievable Absolutely get it on the top of your list It's so wild, it's so beautiful You can camp anywhere you want You're going to see moose and glaciers And whales and kind of everything wow. um, So I did that and it was, it was Phenomenal and then I didn't want it to end, you know, I wanted to yeah. keep, keep living this life. And so I turned around and I started driving south and I ended up driving all the way to the bottom of Argentina to the very end of the Pan American Highway.
0: That that in itself is amazing. And and you were doing that mainly because like, you hadn't gotten into the video part of it so much yet on that trip.
1: That's right. Yeah, so I was blogging on my website. So there's kind of a written account of the whole trip and photos.
0: But unfortunately, there aren't really any videos. And now you did you did make a book of that one, correct?
1: I did. Yeah, I wrote a book um, and I wrote it really honest and really just I'm a regular guy, Michael. You know, I'm nothing special. I don't have any training. I'm not rich. I just wanted to have an adventure and, and I wanted to find out what happens if an ordinary guy sets out to do something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of courage, obviously. And like when you were saving money, were you just living like, like, and I say living dirty, but what I mean is like just bare bones. Were you just really, really, was it, was it you were saving money like with the idea that you were going to go on a big trip or was it just saving money and kind of putting some away? And then when you got closer, you kind of got more into it.
1: Yeah, I, I was saving with the intention of, like, doing some sort of trip or some sort of, you know, extended time away from work. Uh-huh. I didn't really know what it was exactly. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that I was living, you know, really dirt poor. You know, I, I was cooking
0: all my own food. I think that's a great way to save money. Oh, of course. Uh, but but I was still cooking really nice food. You know, I was I was eating steak <laughs> once a week. Um, yeah, there you go. But, but I feel like, you know, I just cut out all the unnecessary stuff, so I...
1: You know, I didn't have a TV or Netflix. Uh, I didn't buy coffee anymore. I always made my own and, you know, brought it with me to work. Um, I rode my bike to work or took public transport instead of driving. You know, just things like that that are kind of everyday expenses. I I find that's the biggest one for me. And all that money, I just kept pushing into a savings account, you know, before I had any chance to spend it on stuff that I didn't need.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just talk about eating out. I mean, I, I think... On average, if you were to eat out, even just lunch and dinner, you're going to spend at least thirty dollars a day.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah, and you know that's a lot of money.
0: Oh yeah, totally, totally, yeah. I am uh, I am working on becoming debt free so I can start doing a little bit more. And and I'm I'm just you know just everything goes towards you know paying off the debt and putting into to savings. So um, yeah, totally understand what that probably felt like. Now, when you, when you, so you left to go to to Alaska, but then you traveled down the Pan America. And then after you got done with that, how long did it take you to decide that you needed to do another trip? Uh, It probably took about two weeks, (laughs) (laughs) especially I I ran out of money. And so I
1: had to go back to a desk job and probably, probably within the first two days of that desk job, I was like, well, this is stupid. I, I know that I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but actually, to be honest with you, I I was pretty exhausted and I was enjoying, you know, I got to go to the gym, I got to eat good food again, have friends, you know, have a social life. So as much as I wanted to do another trip, I I didn't actually want to go straight away. I I was, happy to have, you know, the years of kind of distraction.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And then, so how long, how long did it take you, um, from that point until you left to go to Africa? Yeah, it took six years, Michael. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a long time. I mean, I had to save a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and I had to sort of get get you know excited again, get amped about going again. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it just it, yeah, it took a long time.
0: And on this trip, you decided to go with a four door Wrangler. That's right. Yeah. the The first Jeep I took, it was
1: completely stock, not a single modification at all, um, and it worked great. But I was living in a ground tent. I just had a tiny camp stove, no fridge. Um, And I realized I really wanted more creature comforts. I didn't Uh want to just sort of tolerate the trip for Africa. I really wanted to enjoy it. And so right from the beginning, I wanted more living space. I wanted to be able to sleep more comfortably, and I wanted to eat better food.
0: Now, okay, so talking about comfort, and what was the length of time for the Pan American trip versus the Africa trip?
1: trip took two years okay I drove 40,000 miles and then the Africa trip took three years and I drove 54,000 miles
0: okay very good so um wow yeah that's that's I mean a year's a big difference so um, yeah
1: they were were both long trips but definitely Africa turned out to be much bigger and longer even than I planned
0: yeah so now where was it in Africa that you started this whole journey
1: Right. I, I drove across to the east coast of Canada, and I shipped my Jeep over to Belgium, and then I drove down through France and Spain, and I caught a ferry across to Morocco, okay. so in the northwest of Africa, and then I started my way down the west
0: coast. Okay. Now, I know that, you know, for those of you that don't know, there's a whole video series on Africa that you can watch, and, and it's The Road Shows Me, and it's amazing to watch your video. Now, starting out We talked about this, you know, yesterday, but, you know, it kind of started off a little rocky and didn't look like the trip might make it because you had a mishap with the Jeep that you were working on.
1: I did, yeah. I I had become convinced that I really needed a diesel engine, and so I went down the path of trying to do an engine conversion, Um, and that did not end well. The engine blew up, and so that almost derailed the whole plan. It kind of... It cost a lot of money, first of all, and it wasted a lot of time. And so, I, I really didn't know if I'd be able to continue or not.
0: So, when you end up doing the Africa trip, you actually end up doing that in a regular gasoline factory motor from Jeep, right? That's right. Yeah, pretty much like factory everything, drivetrain. So, engine, transmission, axles, drive shafts, completely stock. And for those of us that haven't haven't spent much time outside of the United States. We're always told that, that diesel's king out there and that really there's not that much um, petrol or gasoline available. Um, obviously, that must not have been the case for you.
1: Right. Things have changed a lot in the last 10 or 15 years. Kind of cheap Chinese scooters are everywhere now. And, mm-hmm. of course, they run they run on gas, not diesel. So that means
0: there's gas stations really often. Okay. Um, and, and so in almost every country of the expedition, it really was as easy as buying gases in the U.S. or Canada. It was not a problem at all. Gotcha. And then, you know, as far as creature comforts, you know, I'm super jealous because you have an Ursa Minor top, right?
1: That's right, I do. The the pop-up roof that, that,
0: you know, it
1: transforms the Jeep entirely. You know, prior to that, it, it was kind of a cool Jeep. But once you put that roof on it,
0: it really is like a camper. It's totally different. Yeah, I've got a good friend that has one. I've crawled up there several times, and each time I'm like, I'm not coming down. You're yeah, going to have to take me. <laughs> and what's cool is you can leave your bedding up there as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. And so it means you don't have to bring it up and down like in the rain, but it also means it isn't taking up space you know, down in the cargo area, which when you're on such a long trip, cargo space becomes a really critical thing.
0: Yeah, and you know, and we talked and, and when it comes down to it, especially like some of the weekend warriors that go out for the weekend, you know, if you can take if you've ever gone backpacking, you know that you can pack what you really need in the size of a backpack. It's just with a vehicle you're able to add a little bit more creature comfort, you know, kind of like the the top that you're talking about. What's another item that you took with you that that was kind of, like, saved your life, and and, and not necessarily saved your life, like, like literally, but something that you couldn't have done without.
1: Right. I know exactly what you mean, and I designed and built a drinking water tank and filtration system into my Jeep, so it actually has a 13-gallon tank underneath, kind of uh, on the other side from the regular gas tank, and that is easily the most used feature of my Jeep. And the most heavily relied upon, you know, as you can imagine, it's super hot in Africa. So I was drinking over a gallon of water a day.
0: Oh, yeah. And just,
1: just to have that on tap, on demand,
0: it was so nice. And, and was that a kind of system that you could you could get into the river and take some water and it, it cleans it for you? Or are you still using tap water?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I designed it so I could fill up from rivers. So it's got a 0.5 micron filter and it's got a UV treatment lamp to okay. kill all the nasties. Um, and I never did fill up from, you know, really questionable water, but there was a few times it was like a bit cloudy or a bit silty. Yeah. And you know, the filter just took care of that completely.
0: Yeah, very good. So yeah. now on your journeys it, it still wasn't without mishap for yourself because um, if I remember correctly, you got it you got sick at least once. I did, Michael, actually I got malaria twice. Oh. Uh,
1: which I don't recommend and it's not fun <laughs> at all. <laughs> to anyone listening don't get malaria yeah don't,
0: don't, don't do it us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly um now how long did it take you to recover each time
1: the first time was probably you know like the worst cold that
0: i've ever had so maybe yeah. it was four or five days of feeling pretty miserable and just kind of lying around doing
1: nothing um but all in all it wasn't that bad but then the second time was five days of the worst i've ever felt in my life
0: um i didn't walk talk eat sleep or drink for five days i think i lost about
1: 20 pounds wow Um, it was it was really bad yeah
0: wow so um yeah and that's that's one of those things that you always have to watch out for now did you take did you bring any kind of medicine with you or um anything to kind of help or did you just have to find stuff there
1: I did bring a few things along like uh, general purpose antibiotics and then, you know, disinfectant and band aids and bandages and cold pack. Uh, But actually, in Africa, there are a lot of pharmacies. Pretty much every little village has one, you know, and and they're so used to dealing with malaria. So you stumble in there and you say the word malaria and they just immediately produce what you need. Gotcha. They know. They're experts.
0: Yeah, I guess Um, that's true.
1: You know, I, I relied on the local medicine both times I had malaria.
0: Okay. Very good, I think that would have made me a little nervous, but uh, but you know that's <laughs> that also comes with the experience of traveling. So
1: that's right, yeah, it's it's not ideal, but one thing I learned is that basically everyone who lives in Africa
0: gets malaria every single year, oh, and that includes wow. you know all the doctors and stuff that are over there working for the United Nations. Uh-huh. And so it it's not as kind of terrifying
1: or scary, you know as we think it is. it's It's kind of manageable, and it's like, oh, well, yeah, it's part of life, but I'll deal with it. And, you know, you get over it and then you move on.
0: Okay. Now, I promise I didn't bring you on here to talk about all of the bad things that happened (laughs) on your trip. Um,
1: Everyone loves the bad
0: things. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, we all just, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about some of the good things. Let's talk about um, the different animals that you came in contact with. Because in the video, I'm just amazed sometimes how close you were to lethal animals.
1: It's mind blowing, Michael. When you drive into these national parks, or sometimes even when you're just out in the wilderness, you can easily get within like 30 feet of elephants, giraffes, hippos, rhinos. And then at certain times, you know, you get close to lions, leopards, cheetahs. It's, it's the first, you know, the first hundred times it happens, you just can't believe it's real.
0: The first hundred times.
1: Like, like, you know, I'm, I'm putting the Jeep in reverse <laughs> and I'm like, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. Like, I have to get out of here. And then you just sort of get used to it after a while. And it, it gets to the point where you're sitting around a campfire at night and you hear a lion roar. And when you hear a lion roar, that's like a deep primal you know, urge to run yeah. away. And the people around the campfire are like, ah, don't worry about it. They never, they never attack people. Just forget about it. And you, you start to <laughs> sort of behave like a local. And you're like, all right, I trust you guys. <laughs> huh. So,
0: yeah. okay. So the question is, how long does that take to happen?
1: takes a long time that (laughs) took took a couple of years before i would like or even at night time it's really common hippos come out of the water and they walk around and they eat all the grass which is usually where you're
0: camping on the grass yeah and so at night it's really common
1: i'd look down from my bed and there's a hippo like practically touching the jeep well he's like half as big as the jeep and they're really dangerous and so you know the, the first like 10 or 20 times that happens your heart races and you're terrified but then again, like, as, as the months turn into years, you're like, oh, yeah, hippos again, and you just roll over and go back to sleep.
0: Yeah, because it's, I mean, hippos kill more people every year than lions.
1: That's right. Yeah, they are. When they're out of the water, they're exceptionally dangerous.
0: Yeah. My yeah. daughter is a big animal expert. She's nine years old, and oh, she, she yep. keeps me informed with all these things that uh, dad needs to know, of course. So, Perfect, um, yeah. that's that's one of her little tips that she gave me when we were watching... Um, an Africa animal show. So um, I, I get to rely on her on all of those things. So now tell me also a little bit about the food um, and did you cook for yourself every time or did you get to go and experience kind of the local flair uh, and fit and food?
1: I did a little bit of both Michael. Um, pretty much every village has a little market where, you know, ladies are selling vegetables and men have usually killed a cow or a goat and they'll sell you a chunk of meat. And so I would restock on supplies kind of twice a week and fill the fridge, you know, and stock up on pasta and rice and beans. And so I, I tried really hard to cook my own breakfast and my own dinner, partly just to save
0: money. Uh-huh. uh but but then every day for lunch, it's kind of I allow myself a get out of
1: jail free card, and I I buy street food off you know a street vendor whatever they happen to be selling. Even when I don't know what it is and I can't really speak the language, I kind of just point at it and I'm like that one, please. Yeah, and I, I yeah, and I just experience whatever the local food is.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a big deal um, when you're traveling, whether it's for uh, an adventurous trip like this, or even if you're just going to. Um, you know, on a regular destination that a lot of tourists go to. I always ask like the the taxi driver or guide to take us to the place where the locals eat. Um, the food tastes a little different um, than what you're going to get at your tourist, more tourist destinations. Um, and, and it's just more local.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's such a good way to be able to interact with local people and you know sort of practice the language a little bit and they kind of warm up to you and you know you can smile you can laugh and it gives you that sort of sense of comfort too that you're like oh you know
0: this this place doesn't feel dangerous or i'm not scared like people here are quite friendly Yeah. yeah yeah now on your travels um you know obviously did you have i say obviously did you have it it mapped out Or did you just kind of go from one city to the next, not really knowing exactly how you were getting there?
1: I kind of did a bit of both again, Michael. Um, My dream all along was to go right around the coastline, and so I set out hoping to do that, but I knew that things changed quickly in Africa, politically and, you know, with safety. Yeah. And so what I did as I went along, I was talking to staff in the embassies, I was talking to military guys and police at the roadblocks. I was talking to other travelers. I was researching online, and so I was flexible as I went along. You know, and there was one or two countries where I couldn't get a visa, so I just had to drive around it. Um, There was one or two countries it was raining an unbelievable amount, so I just skipped them. I couldn't handle it anymore. Uh So I kind of, yeah, I kind of remained flexible as I went along.
0: How many? uh, And and going back or staying on the uh, the idea of you know traveling on the road, how many? miles or how much time did you allow yourself each day on normal or like a normal kind of thing to to be in the vehicle driving
1: i don't have a hard and fast rule for that kind of thing okay um yeah usually it's kind of more about if i'm enjoying my time in that country and am i kind of you know heading off to have adventures and you know go find a waterfall or go find a lake or whatever it happens to be and so most days i'd say i probably drove like one to three hours. It's probably my average. Okay. Because um, I was, you know, I wanted to get out of the vehicle and go exploring, like, on foot or walk around a village or whatever it was for entertainment. Um, but then I guess there were other countries too, like the the Congo, the Democratic Republic Congo. I, I pretty much crossed that as fast as I could. So yeah. I was doing, like, eight-hour driving days.
0: Gotcha. Well, and that's yeah. kind of why I asked because, you know, I think that a lot of people that I've gone on trips with seem to want to really... Pick up the pace and put as many miles in in one day as they can and me I like kind of slowing it down because I'm a photographer so I like to stop and take pictures and you know get out and walk around quite a bit um, and if you're stuck in the vehicle for more than four hours uh, that gets hard
1: absolutely yeah and, and I think it depends you know what kind of trip you're on and what kind of time limits you have at each end of course but my, my advice is always like aim for less you know, don't, don't set yourself up to explore 10 states in three months. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think that's going to be overly enjoyable. I, I'd much rather <laughs> slow down and, and just see a couple of states really
0: well You know, in three months. Yeah. Now, yeah. On, on your three-year trip, did you plan it to be three years or did you have a timetable?
1: When I left, I, I figured it would be about two years. I thought roughly a year for the East Coast and a year for the West Coast would see it done. And that sort of turned out to be true, except that then I also added a year just in Southern Africa. So just like South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Zambia, Zimbabwe, those alone, I I met people who spent three years just in those countries because they're they're so beautiful and so wild. And, I mean, I describe them as overlanders, paradise. Really? You You can wild camp every single night, see wild animals, beautiful, beautiful scenery, and then when you're ready... You zip into a town, you've got a supermarket, you've got Wi-Fi, you've got a gas station, you know, you can resupply, have a hot shower, and then head out again in the
0: wilderness the next day. And so it's, yeah, it's it's really paradise for overlanding. All right. Well, I've got a friend that lives in South Africa. I'm going to have to make him uh, take me around. Oh, um, do that.
1: Don't don't let him give you no for an answer. Just show up one day and say, we're going.
0: Oh, yeah. I've, I've actually got a couple friends there. Um, uh Hein, and he's a he, he's a quick pitch guy, and then Graham Bell is from South Africa, but he's never there. <laughs> no, he never is there. That's right. <laughs> you know, he's been on the road for for a long time. Although he was just in South Africa, so that's not totally totally um, true that he's never there. Um, what was what was one of the best meals that you had on your Africa trip? Um, I mean,
1: there was a bunch. But in Nigeria, they have this uh, local dish called um, jollof rice, which is kind of like fried rice. Like, you know, it's rice with a bunch of vegetables and maybe meat. But in in Nigeria, it's really, really spicy. It has a real depth of flavor. Um, And it usually came with what they called chicken, but was so enormous I had to assume it was turkey. Um, And it was was delicious. So, yeah, I'd happily eat that for a very long time.
0: Yeah, and I know that you had a really, really bad experience too, um, and I know you don't like to talk about it, so um, I'll, I'll just sum it up to where it was a, a large, a rodent of unusual usual size, uh, grilled in a skillet, um, all pieced together. That's right, and it was completely whole on the plate, including teeth and tail, and even some fur was still on it. You know, it's really added to the
1: whole lack of enjoyment.
0: <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> I've got a friend in Arkansas that does that with possums, and uh, <laughs> and he showed me a picture. And you know, there's part of me that that wants to be courageous enough to tell him the next time I go to to find a possum and cook it up. But then again, I don't. I just I don't know that I could.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? It feels like something you should do, but then at the same time, you're like. Um, no, thanks. No, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think I can go without that. So um, <laughs> now let me, let me ask you this. What's, what's the biggest piece of advice that you would give somebody that was going to go on an extended trip?
1: I think the first thing is, you know, extended trips, they can be really daunting and kind of seem overwhelming. So don't, don't worry about that for now. Just focus on the small trips, focus on the enjoyment, like head out for a weekend, head out for a week, see what you enjoy doing and you know maybe you love fly fishing, so find a way to incorporate that into your trips or, or you enjoy reading a book in the shade, You know do a lot of that, but it's about finding what you love to do and how you love to do it and if you're a person that loves to eat great food, maybe you're going to cook quite a bit, so you want a good kitchen set up in your vehicle or you couldn't care less about cooking and you just want to eat, you know, ramen noodles, that's fine too. You know, there's no right or wrong way, but it's about discovering what you love to do and then making that a part of your trips.
0: You know, and I think that that's key right there because I think all of us have that, you know, that that sense of wonder, that nomadic, I say all of us, all of us that, that are listening to this and participate in what we call overlanding. Um, but you need to make it yours. And if you enjoy, like you said, cooking, then that needs to be incorporated with how you overland, you know, like, like if, if reading's a big deal, then bring books with you, you know, Um, right. everybody's just a little bit, whatever's going to help you enjoy the, uh, the downtime of camp. Um, you need to, you need to really latch onto that and, you know, for me, it's photography, so I'm always with a camera out taking pictures and walking around. I can do that for, for days, so that's that's not a problem. Um, but I think each person, they just need to find that one thing that, that will help them not go crazy whenever there's nothing to do at campsite.
1: That's right, exactly. And and doing the shorter trips, too, then you get the experience of, like, using your gear, using your vehicle, figuring out what you need to bring in terms of tools or spares or you know, what what's enough but what's too much. You just sort of learn it by experience rather than trying to just have some enormous checklist that's overwhelming, you know, and you don't you don't even really understand why you might need some of it.
0: Yeah. And and you don't have to have an overbuilt vehicle because both trips that you did relatively your drive chain drivetrain was stock on both Jeeps, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Completely stock.
0: Okay. And so like the second Jeep you just had a few things that you knew you would want for comfort for a longer trip.
1: Yeah, that's right. My build was really focused on comfort. I wanted better living accommodations. Um, and I made a few small four-wheel drive changes, you know, front bumper and winch and skid yeah. plates. But that was really only because of West Africa, because I knew it was going to be pretty intense. Uh-huh. Um, but the little Jeep I drove to Argentina, it was completely stock, and it was fantastic. Never broke down once, never got it stuck
0: had a great time. Do you still have that Jeep? I don't know. I sold it in Argentina at the end of the trip. Oh, okay. Um, and so some days I kind of entertain the idea of, of trying to contact
1: the guy I sold it to and then flying down there and seeing if I can buy it back. I kind of, maybe one day I'll invest
0: it. <laughs> maybe, maybe one day. And yeah. the Jeep that you used in Africa, did you bring that one back?
1: I did, yep. I shipped it from Egypt back to Canada. Um, I toured the U.S. in it in the summer of 2019, and now I have it with me now in Canada. Uh, I daily drive it actually here.
0: So that is the funniest thing to me, that this this Jeep that went 50-plus thousand miles in Africa is now a daily driver, grocery getter in Canada.
1: It's pretty funny, too, because <laughs> it, it has stickers and stuff on it, you know, the, yeah. the, Jeep, the Jeep that conquered Africa. And so every now and again, people stop me like in a parking lot. And they're like, did you drive that thing? I'm like, yep. And then they're like, is that really the Jeep? Or is that like a replica? Like, well, I don't understand. I'm like, no, no, that's, that's really it. Like, look at all the dints on it. It's definitely the one.
0: Yeah. Cause you did, get, you did get a couple dents on it, didn't you?
1: I did. Yeah. It, it, uh, accidentally fell on its side in Uganda,
0: man. And, and you said, we were talking about this, you know, yesterday and you said that with uh, winch power and manpower, you were able to get corrected and put on all four tires
1: that's right yeah a bunch of locals showed up um and they pushed on the side while i winched off a tree and it it came back up on its tires really without much hassle
0: and as far as the jeep itself other than a couple of uh, physical blemishes um everything ran fine
1: that's right exactly yeah I, i duct taped the fenders back on um and i had to correct everything inside that had gone all over the place but then i've been driving it ever since actually
0: all right, well that's that's a good one to stick to all those Toyota guys that tell us that these Jeeps, you know, can't really handle it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, I mean my two have been fantastic. They've never given me a single issue.
0: Yeah, and and obviously the Toyota thing is just a joke. I've got a lot of I've got a lot of friends that are Toyota drivers, so let me just throw that out there. So, um, yeah. and I can't really say much. I'm in a Jeep Liberty, so I'm in basically it's like a Toyota and a Jeep all at the same. Right, because yeah. it's independent front suspension, all that kind of stuff. So, uh-huh. um, but but I have fun being kind of kind of different. So now now that you're finished, you've got you're finished with the trip. You're back in Canada. What is it that you're doing right now?
1: Right now, Michael, I'm putting the finishing touches on my book about the Africa expedition. Um, so this book includes, you know, all the adventures, all the misadventures, and it also includes a bunch about. You know the perception that the world has about Africa versus what I actually experienced when I was there, in terms of friendly people, beautiful places, you know, happy people. I don't think we hear much about that in the news, uh-huh. but the reality on the ground is a lot different than what the news shows us.
0: So, and and I know there's a video, and we'll talk about the video that you just you just had come out not too long ago. Um, you said that it changed you, and and can you tell us a little bit about? How that Africa trip changed you?
1: Um, it's it's hard to put into you know less than three hundred sentences. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh,
1: it, it, it changed me a lot, Michael. the The way that people treat each other in Africa is really special. They always have time to say hello and how are you, and they're not kind of so focused on just earning money and being driven like that. Um, so I really want to make that a part of who I am for the rest of my life. Okay, they're really they're really focused on helping each other. You know, so when you see a vehicle broken down or when you see someone carrying something heavy, it's just part of life that you would go and help them. Like, why wouldn't you? That doesn't, you know? Yeah. Um, So things like that around how we treat people and and how we interact with each other, I feel like Africans, they know something that we've forgotten. You know, because we used to know it. We used to be from there back in the day. But somewhere along the line, we got caught up in whatever it is that... We forgot all of that stuff.
0: I think that, I think one of the differences that, that just, just from my viewpoint is that we're in too big of a hurry.
1: Yeah. Today. The difference of, you know, we call it Africa time. Yeah. Which means whenever. The the difference (laughs) is, the difference is astounding. Yeah. People just have time for, there's always time for everything. And it was really, it was really hard for me when I got back to North America. I found I was late for everything, and there was never enough time to do everything that needed to get done. And I, I, for months and months, I struggled. I couldn't understand it. I'm like, but what, what do you mean? Now that I carry a, you know, a time device, somehow time is more important. So I got rid of that. So now I just don't really know what time it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I found that out. I found that out a little late, a little earlier today. <laughs> now nah, we were trying to connect and, uh, and, you know, Dan just got wrapped up in his book. And so we got, uh, our scheduled time was a little later, but that's fine because I had, I had time zone dyslexia yesterday. So, um, I was thinking in reverse of what our time zones were. So I got thrown off yesterday. So we both, uh, we both get a, get a pass on that one. Um, now, you had a video come out recently, and you're you're basically your book's almost almost finished. You're wrapping it up, um, and and you're you've started a Kickstarter for it.
1: That's right, Michael. Yeah, I I'm hoping. Well, actually, the funding goal was reached, so it, it is going to happen. Um, I'm going to order a batch that have full color interior photos, um, which if I was ordering a small batch, would just be too expensive. So I've gone down the Kickstarter route, so now we can order up a large enough batch to get this limited edition copy that will have uh, color photos on the inside.
0: Okay, now you reached your goal, but is that Kickstarter still available for people to check out?
1: It is, yeah. The Kickstarter's running until March 14th. Okay. Um, And as well as the book, there's other rewards, like my first book, uh, some stickers and patches, my photography book from Africa. And so depending on which tier a person would want to support, you know they can get those things,
0: and and how do we how do we find that to participate and help you out in that?
1: Uh, I'm online as the road chose me, so that's on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook, and then if if someone was to go to Kickstarter.com and then just search for the road chose me, it'll
0: pop up, okay. um, and they can read all about the details of the
1: book. They can see photos of it um, because I have a couple of uh, test prints here now.
0: Very good, very good. Um, so let's talk about your future. What are you going to be doing, um, this year? And do you have a big trip planned?
1: So for 2020, I'm doing uh, a speaking tour all across Canada. Um, I've got stories that I tell videos of bribery, you know, photos of buying gas in the Congo. And so I'll, I'll tour all across Canada and tell all these stories and just, you know, get people stoked on overlanding and, and what it looks like when you just go for it. Yeah, Uh, And then for 2021, I am planning big new adventures to new continents,
0: uh, but I'm not quite ready to announce anything just yet. Totally understand. So um, have you decided if you're going to use the same Jeep or are you going to do a different vehicle or have you even thought that far yet?
1: Uh, I haven't decided completely, but the place that I'm looking at going to right now, it's prohibitively difficult to ship a vehicle. So I'm leaning towards I'll just go there and get a vehicle.
0: Oh, you just got my mind spinning.
1: Yeah, if if that maybe gives away where I'm (laughs) thinking about going. Um, And I love this vehicle. It's been fantastic for me. Uh Um, But I built it for a purpose for Africa. And now that I'm looking at different places, I think I would be
0: looking at different features in a vehicle. Yeah. So
1: maybe it's time to have something different.
0: Well, and I do know that, you know, talking to some people, talking to some other world travelers, you know, in the United States, we think that overlanding is going down some trail that's been washed out, that, you know, is is basically an off-road park now. But whenever you're in other countries, I mean, most of the roads are, they're rough, but they're pretty well maintained that you're on. Is that, is that the case? Is that true?
1: Yeah, that's right. And especially when you realize that 99 percent of the time you're trying to get somewhere interesting you you're trying to get to a waterfall or a beach or a national park and to be perfectly honest other people are trying to get there as well which means the road has to be drivable yeah and and locals are driving that road probably in like a beat-up pickup truck with bald tires and broken four-wheel drive Um, so so if they can get through in that thing you know, I'm not really going to have any trouble in my Rubicon, you know, with nice new tires on it.
0: Yeah, I, just, I was, we yeah. were on a trail in um, Arkansas in the Ozark National Forest. And <laughs> there were 10 of us or so, and, and we all had built vehicles. And a guy comes with a two-wheel drive Chevy pickup truck pulling a trailer with a uh, with a tractor on the back of it through a water crossing that we just went through. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, nothing nothing brings you back down to then seeing that you know, as you're leaned up against your overbuilt vehicle.
1: That's right, exactly. And I, know I had that countless times in Africa and Latin America.
0: Very good, very good. Well, well, hey, Dan, I, I really appreciate it. And, um, and you know, for the people listening, please go over and check out his YouTube page. Check out the Kickstarter. Um, one of the ways that, that I know that you support yourself in doing these trips is the sale of your book. That's, that's right. Exactly. That's how you how, how you do all of this, um, you know, so so we need to do whatever we can to help you out, because you're basically educating us on on what's out there, because not everybody's going to get to get to go out and go to these remote countries in these remote places. So I appreciate you taking the time and and living this adventurous lifestyle so that we can see it as well.
1: Thanks, Michael. Yeah, it's it's a real pleasure. I thoroughly enjoy helping other
0: people get out there and, and telling people how they can do it, too, because everyone can, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just takes the uh, it takes a little bit of courage, and uh, and you know, if you were to spend your time waiting for the perfect time, it'll never happen. You just have to go out and do it.
1: That's definitely
0: true, yes. Okay. Well, very good, Dan. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today, Um, we wish you the best and you know, I know that I'll be paying attention to you and hopefully when we get, you get closer to your next trip, let's talk again so that we can dive into that and see exactly what you're up to, um, at that point.
1: Definitely. I'd really like that.
0: Hey Dan, thank you so much for coming on and for everybody else that's listening, I always end the episode with go all over. So go all over, everybody have a fun night. Thank you, Dan. And, uh. And good luck.
1: Thanks, Michael. Appreciate
0: it. All right. Perfect.